of two cities. This is number five of seven. It is entitled, A Purified Church. As we begin this presentation, I have two texts of scripture upon which to build our study. The first is found in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and verse 27. Christ, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle <clears throat> or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now that sounds exciting, doesn't it? For as we look at our church today, it is a far cry from perfection. But God states in his holy word that his church will become holy and without blemish. And then John the Revelator describes this purified church in these words, of which you are very familiar. Here is the patience of the saints. I'm reading Revelations 14:12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now in this, our previous studies, the one which was entitled An Overwhelming Surprise, number four, we discovered that there will be a violent shaking within God's remnant church, which will leave only the precious wheat within the city of Jerusalem. Of this we read in Joel, the second chapter, verse 24, and the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. But Jerusalem's numbers will now be very few because of the shaking, for millions will have left her. How sad. But there is a brighter side, for with the terrors all gone, she will become a magnificent city, splendid in beauty and in strength. In Isaiah 26, 1, we read, In that day, and may I pause here, wherever you hear in the book of Isaiah those words, In that day, it means in the very end of time. Now let me read it. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. And so you see, Jerusalem will be a completely united city. Her inhabitants will be fully armed, covered with the protection of Christ's righteousness. She shall be enabled to stand against the enemy. In volume 8, page 11 of the Testimonies, the forces of the enemy will no more be able to overcome her than the chaff to resist the whirlwind. Now, isn't that a precious promise? That should give us courage. This little company will stand before God as a triumphant whole, all moving together in perfect harmony. Why? Because they have passed through the agonizing time of the shaking. 
these members now have a glorious experience, for they have realized that they have won the victory. In early writings, page 270, this is explained. Said the angel, Look ye, my attention was then turned to the company I had seen, who were mightily shaken. I was shown those whom I had before seen weeping and praying in agony of spirit. The company of guarding angels around them had been doubled. Oh, I like that. And they were clothed with an armor from their head to their feet. They moved in exact order like a company of soldiers. Now the Holy Word of God also describes this purified and victorious church in these words concerning the remnant in Zechariah 8.3 Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And then in Isaiah 4, 3, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. And every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem now, of course, this brings us back to our text, Ephesians 5.27, that Christ might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What a marvel will God's remnant church be to this nation, the nations of the world, and to the universe. Her people will be a wonder. Praise God for his marvelous wisdom in providing such a glorious climax for his church. You know, recently I had the privilege of going into a dark room where there were certain rocks that could be seen under ultraviolet ray. Should you look at these rocks in the light of an ordinary light bulb, they appeared as ordinary pebbles, drab rocks. But under this special light, they were transformed into sparkling gems of light and color. It was a breathtaking experience. And so, with earthly things, we are nothing but rough stones. We have no light of beauty in ourselves. We are nothing but common, warped, drabbed, uh, just as the Bible stated in Luke, the 18th chapter, verse 19. None is good, save one, that is God. But when the true light of Christ shines through us, we become living stones and emit his light. We become living stones purified, polished, tested, and tried, fitly representing the perfection that God wishes as he places us without a flaw to mar the reflection of Christ. 
Isaiah describes it in this way, Isaiah 62, 3. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Then in that beautiful book, Our High Calling, page 322, I read, The company of believers may be few in number, but they have have been taken by the cleaver of truth as rough stones from the quarry of the world to be fitted up by test and trial for a place in God's heavenly temple. And they are very precious in the sight of the Lord, even in the rough. They are precious in the sight of God. Don't you like that? To realize how precious we are, I continue. The axe and the hammer and the chisel of trial and test are in the hands of one who is skillful and are used not to destroy, not to bring to nothingness, but to work out the perfections of every soul. Oh, what a beautiful picture of God's transforming work in our characters. I continue reading. The divine worker (coughs) spends little time (coughs) on worthless material. (coughs) Only the precious jewels does he polish after the similitude of a palace, cutting away all the rough edges. This process is severe and trying. It hurts human pride. Christ cuts deep into the experience that man in his self-sufficiency has regarded as complete and takes away self-uplifting from the character. He cuts away the surplus surface and putting the stones to the polishing wheel presses it close that all roughness may be worn away. Then, holding the jewel up to the light, the master sees in it a reflection of himself and he pronounces it worthy of a place in his casket. So, we must allow Christ to measure, test, cleanse and polish us to fit us into his city, Jerusalem, the very temple of God. In the judgment, all will be measured, whether we are good or evil, and all who do not measure up to the pattern will be rejected. But those who are wise, that is, they are willing to be made ready, will be used in God's building. First Peter 2, 5 reads, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. God's church will be so attractive that even the angels and the sinless inhabitants of the universe will look upon it as a thing of exquisite beauty. So you can see why I'm excited this morning. 
of what is about to take place. Now, let us compare God's last day remnant church with the following found in Bible Commentary 2, 1029. The Jewish temple <coughs> was built of hewn stones quarried out of the mountains, and every stone was fitted for its place in the temple, hewn, polished, and tested before it was brought to Jerusalem. And when all were brought to the ground, the building went on the, and when all were brought to the ground, the building went together without the sound of an axe or hammer. This building represents God's spiritual temple, which is composed of material gathered out of every nation, tongue, and people of all grades, high and low, rich and poor, learned and unlearned. These are not dead substances to be fitted by hammer and chisel. They are living stones quarried out from the world by truth. And the great master builder, the Lord of the temple, is now hewing and polishing them and fitting them for their respective places in the spiritual temple. And when completed, this temple will be perfect in all its parts. The admiration of angels and men for its builder and maker is God." Unquote. Thus will God, the master architect, create the most splendid temple, his church, the city of Jerusalem, from his living jewels ready to finish the task of giving the last warning message to the world. But we must not forget, there is another city, Babylon, embracing the whole world that must also be ripened for the harvest before Christ comes the second time. Now, how can this be accomplished? Just as God is able to transform his subjects into living stones, unbelievable wonders for eternity, so he produces the circumstances that will prepare the harvest of Babylon for the reapers. Even though the people of God, <coughs> his very small remnant, have experienced victory over the beast and over its image and over every sin. There is still a great work for them to do on this earth. For the remnant are to give the harvest-producing message <coughs> the loud cry designed to ripen the harvest within Babylon. Now, who will give the loud cry? Many suppose it will be given by the whole church, those represented as the wheat and the tares, but the spirit of prophecy is very plain. This will never happen. Why is this so misunderstood? 
In the Review and Herald, November 19, 1908, are these words. The third angel's message is to lighten the earth with its glory. And now listen to this. But only those who have withstood temptation in the strength of the mighty one will be permitted to act a part in proclaiming it when it shall have swelled into the loud cry. Now that can mean only but one thing. Those represented by the tares will not be permitted to give the loud cry. Once we correctly understand what the loud cry message actually is, you will be able to see that it would be absolutely impossible for the tares to proclaim the loud cry. For the loud cry is more than a loud sermon. It is a powerful demonstration. Now this is explained in volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 40. In the future, the earth is to be lightened with the glory of God. A holy influence is to go forth to the world from those who are sanctified through the truth. You see, the loud cry will be a demonstration given by those who have been sanctified. In this last call, the world is to be warned not by theories of the truth alone, nor of judgments, terrible as they are, as foretold in the third angel's message, no. They are to be given a demonstration. Let me read this. Bible Commentary 7, page 980. The world can only be warned by seeing those who believe the truth, sanctified through the truth, acting upon high and holy principles, showing in a high elevated, elevated sense the line of demarcation between those who keep the commandments of God and those who trample them under their feet. The sanctification of the Spirit signalizes the difference between those who have the seal of God and those who have a spurious rest day. In other words, these individuals who give the last warning message with power that will stir the world will be the individuals who have overcome sin in their life. During the loud cry, the Sabbath will be preached to the world by a sanctified group who are showing the difference between people who keep the Sabbath as commanded of God and all the people who obey the commandments of men. Merely representing the arguments of worship on the seventh day is not really the third angel's message. It is sanctification that draws a distinct line between those who proclaim the true gospel and those who proclaim the devil's false theories. Sad to say, few of us today seem to realize 
what I'm talking about. Nor do they fully comprehend the meaning of the third angel's message, for it contains the glory of God that will lighten the whole earth. This is explained further in volume 6, page 19. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Now, how is this revelation of Christ's righteous character? How is this a revelation which is to be proclaimed to the world by men? In Bible Commentary 7, 979, to give glory to God is to reveal his character in our own. Now, are you catching that? The character of God is to be revealed in our character. I'm reading, and thus make him known. And in whatever way we make known the Father or the Son, we glorify God. Then compare this with Christ's Object Lessons 375. The light of his glory, his character, is to shine forth in his followers. Thus, they are to glorify God, to enlighten the path to the bridegroom's home, to the city of God to the marriage of the Lamb. It is the light of the righteousness of Christ which is, a demonst which is demonstrated through the character of his followers. In Christ Object Lessons 377 are these amazing words. It is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known unto the darkness of the world to be shed the light of his glory, the light of his goodness, mercy, and truth. And now these words. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. Can you imagine a time coming when under the seal of God, perfected in character, having overcome sin, we will actually stand up before people and say, look at me. Behold your God. Now, you may think that's pretty strong, but isn't that what Jesus did? When they asked to know what God was like, he said, if you have seen me, ye have seen the Father. We are to become so holy when we are sealed by the seal of God that we can stand unafraid before people and say, look at me, 
Behold your God. They will see in us the revelation of God's character. I am reading now from Selected Messages 1, 386. God will make known the mystery which has been hidden for ages. He will make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you see, Christ will be within us. And as Christ represented the Father, so with Jesus and us, we will represent God. In volume 8 of the testimonies I read, in the time of confusion and trouble before us, a time of trouble such as not been since there was a nation, the uplifting Savior will be represented to the people of all lands, that all who look to him in faith may live. Now, during this little time of trouble, the attention of the entire world will be directed upon those who cannot be moved from their position of truth. This is exactly what God has proposed should take place. In vision, the Lord's messenger was shown the remnant who had passed through the shaking and had obtained the victory over every sin. And they are the ones that will now go to Babylon and will give the truth with great power. Listen, early writings 271. My attention was then turned to the company I had seen who were mightily shaken. The company of guarding angels around them had been doubled, and they were clothed with an armor from their head to their feet. They moved in exact order like a company of soldiers. The numbers of this company had lessened. You see, this is after the shaking. Some had been shaken out and left by the way. I heard those clothed with the armor speak forth the truth with great power. It had effect. I asked, what has made this great change? The angel answered, it is the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel, unquote. Now, let me read again from Prophets and Kings 7.25 of this experience. Clad in the armor of Christ's righteousness, the church is to enter upon her final conflict. Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, terrible as an army with banners, she is to go forth into all the world, conquering to conquer. I tell you, a great day is soon to come. It's exciting. The message of a purified church is to go forth triumphant as a conqueror. In volume 5, page seven five seven eight, they are made indeed a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. They are marked characters because their purity of heart and life, their strength of purpose, their firmness and usefulness in the cause of God, 
They are God's noble men. Oh, I like that. Just to think that we will be God's noble men. It is a time that the church will give not only a final demonstration, but the full display of God's character within every individual. In Acts of the Apostles, page 9, the members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church, and though the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. While God's true remnant will be but a little company, their influence will be so powerful that they will catch the attention of the whole world. Volume 5, page 482, are these words. While multitudes are devoted to mammon, and serve not the Holy One of Israel, there are a few who have not defiled their garments, but have kept them unspotted from the world. These few will be a power. Now, how is this power to be demonstrated? In the character. Great Converse, uh, great Christ Object Lessons, page 306. Character is power. The silent witness of truth, unselfish, godly lives, carries an almost irresistible influence. By revealing in our lives the character of Christ, we cooperate with him. And the wider the sphere of our influence, the more good we may do. When those who profess to serve God follow Christ's example, practicing the principles of the law in their daily life, when every act bears witness that they love God supremely and their neighbors as themselves, then will the church have power to move the world, unquote. Praise God. It's going to happen, friend. God's hand will overrule in volume 5, page 453, he will restrain the forces of darkness until the warning is given to the world, and all who will heed it are prepared for the conflict. Now, as an example, do you remember how Nebuchadnezzar persecuted the truth, yet it only served to spread the truth? The king thought to force the worship of the golden image by casting the three Hebrews into a fiery furnace. But God preserved his servants in the midst of the flames. And thus the knowledge of the true God was presented to all the assembled princes and great men. Just listen to this. In volume 5, page 554, the efforts made to retard the progress of truth will serve to extend it. 
Isn't that encouraging? So, what is holding us back today from having this wonderful experience? I'll tell you. It is because God's people are not ready to receive the great power of the latter rain. In volume 1, page 466, ministers and people are unprepared for the time in which they live, and nearly all who profess to believe present truth are unprepared to understand the work of preparation for this time. Shall I read what follows? Listen. They are wholly unfitted to receive the latter rain. Ministers and people must take greater advancement in the work of reform. They should commence without delay to correct their wrong habits. Are you listening? Of eating, drinking, dressing, and working. And so, friend, these things do make a difference, don't they? You see, God is just waiting to place upon his church his beautiful garments, the armor of power, success, and protection. But we first, individually, must submit to God for a cleansing. Here we see the need of godly works in our life. In volume 1, page 486, God's people are not prepared for the loud cry of the third angel. They have a work to do for themselves, which they should not leave for God to do for them. He has left this work for them to do. It is an individual work. One cannot do it for another. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, unquote. Our people need to be aroused out of their sleep. We are in the Laodicean condition. There is a work for us to do for ourselves and a work for God. Then the loud cry will be given with great power. In Review and Herald, July 21, 1896, the great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with his glory, will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. When we have entire, wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of his Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the larger portion of the church are not laborers together with God. And so here again you can see this experience will not take place until the shaking shakes out the tears. This must happen first. 
and this will happen when the Sunday law bursts upon us. Why did the lamps of the foolish virgins go out? I'll tell you why. Because character, not theology, lightens the way to the bridegroom. This is why the tares are ruled out of having a part in giving the loud cry. The false brethren have never fully comprehended the third angel's message. Thus they will be left in darkness. And actually, Satan will so delude these that they will actually denounce the loud cry, the loud cry as a false spiritualistic phenomenon. Now where do I get this? In Review and Herald, May 27, 1890. The third angel's message will not be comprehended. The light which will lighten the earth with its glory will be called a false light by those who refuse to walk in its advancing glory. You remember at Pentecost, the foolish virgins declared the demonstration of the former reign to be the result of the use of alcohol by the leaders of the church at that time. May none of us be so foolish in this enlightened age under the Holy Spirit to declare that this, when it comes, will be such. Only the members of the purified church will receive the latter rain and give the loud cry. Notice carefully, <clears throat> I cannot emphasize this too much, that it will be the storm of persecution perpetrated by Babylon in Sunday law harassment that will finally separate the tares from the wheat and leave a small remnant perfectly united and holy. In volume 6, page 400, as trials thicken around us, both separation and unity will be seen in our ranks. Now, can I pause there? You see, the separation will be that the tares will leave the church. And those that are united in the blessed truth will form unity as never before. Let me read it again. As trials thicken about us, both separation and unity will be seen in our ranks. Those who have great light and precious privileges but have not improved them will under one pretext or another go out from us. But on the other hand, when the storm of persecution really breaks upon us, the true sheep will bear the true shepherd's voice. The people of God will be drawn together and present to the enemy a united front. Thus will be answered the prayer of Christ, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me. Then will the message of the third angel swell to a loud cry, and the whole earth 
will be lightened with the glory of the Lord. You know, I can hardly wait. That's going to be a wonderful day. In, Revel in Review and Herald, February 25, are these words of 1890. The promise of God now repeated as if the soul had never tasted of his love, will glow upon the altar of the heart and fall in burning words from the lips of the messengers of God. They will then plead with souls and with an earnestness that cannot be repulsed. Then the windows of heaven will be opened for the showers of the latter rain. The followers of Christ will be united in love. This will be a repeat of Pentecost as 120 disciples of Christ were gathered together in the upper room. The church will be in one accord. When the disciples arrived in total purity and unity, the blessings of the former reign was poured out upon them and thousands were converted in the day. So, again, when the remnant church shall experience the same unity, the latter rain will be poured out. Remember, as I read in volume 6, page 293, it is not numerous institutions, large buildings, or great display that God requires, but the harmonious action of a peculiar people, a people chosen by God and precious. Every man is to stand in his lot and place, thinking, speaking, and acting in harmony with the Spirit of God. Then and not till then will the work be completed." Unquote. Oh, how God wants to prepare his people now for this marvelous work of presenting the last message of mercy. As millions leave us, as the terrors separate from us, so millions from Babylon will take up the ranks of those that leave because of the divine power of the loud cry which will sweep the world like fire in stubble. You know, there is great danger that we who cry and sigh for the abominations that we see within the church today somehow forget that very, very soon God is going to cleanse this church of the tares and with a small remnant fully surrendered to him the most marvelous results will be seen throughout the world. May we be among those faithful few who will have a part in the closing work. For there is a bright and glorious day just ahead for the church, a purified church, a triumphant church. Let us pray. O oh God, Send us a revival of true godliness that we may diligently prepare ourselves for the greatest day this church has ever seen.
when the tares will have been shaken out and the remaining saints become wholly united in the power of the latter rain to mightily give the loud cry. O oh God, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Be sure to listen to number six in this series. Come out of her, my people. And now, let us meditate on the words of this beautiful song, Jesus Revealed in Me. Jesus reigns. 